Amen. We are in a series called Reclaiming Church. And this morning, I want to talk to you about when dead bodies speak. Uh, when dead bodies speak in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But what do uh, Toy Story, Indian in the Cupboard, The Marshmallow Man off of Ghostbusters, and Frankenstein all have in common? Anybody know? You're like, what in the world are we talking about today? Uh, that there was something that was inanimate or dead, but now has come alive. I don't know, I have uh, two little girls, and we have Toy Story uh, toys at our house, and you know, the Toy Story's really big, even you know, 20 years later, it's crazy. Uh, and so every now and then, you kind of catch yourself going into my, into my daughter's bedroom, and there's like a Woody cowboy doll sitting on the shelf there, and you just kind of look at it like, Something about the, you know, you're kind of like, did he just come alive? Did he say something or is something going to happen when I walk out of the room? Because there's just a little piece of you that just wonders, you know, you've watched it when you were growing up and you're like, oh, maybe it is. Or you grew up with Indian in the cupboard and you kind of just think, what if this thing came alive? And if something that was inanimate or dead became alive and started talking to you, one, you would either check yourself into a hospital immediately or you'd think, oh my gosh, it is evident this thing is now alive. When a dead thing begins to speak, it's a good indication it's now alive. Somebody say amen. That's right. All right, so that's what it is. Do you know there are over 10 resurrection stories in Scripture? From the Old Testament time, you can go back to Elijah and Elisha where they brought widows' sons back to life. There's a crazy story about a man that got thrown into Elisha's grave and when his dead body touched Elisha's dead bones, he came back to life and he began to talk about the things of God probably. I'm sure he did. And then there's the stories of Lazarus in the Bible. There's the story of Jairus' daughter. There's the story of the little girl that uh, Jesus brings back to life. And of course, even when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the tombs were open and the saints of God began speaking to all kinds of people. Now, wouldn't that be something to see? Uh, that dead people who were once dead are now speaking. It's a good indication they're not dead anymore, right? And of course, we have Jesus. And each time you look at these events, when the resurrected become, uh, when these dead people become to speak, it's good living proof that God is a God of not just the living, but the dead as well. He is a God that is beyond all things and for all things, and in Him all things are held together. And isn't that the mission of God at the end of the day is to make dead men come alive? You see, if you were to see someone resurrected from the dead and begin to speak again to you, it's a good indication that God is all-powerful, that He makes dead things come back to life. And Peter said that in his epistle, to, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. Everybody say dead. Dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. That the gospel's very purpose is that it is preached to dead men to make them come alive. And not just in the next life, but this life right now. That though we can be dead in our sins, that when the gospel message is spoken to us, we come alive. And somebody say, Amen. That's the gospel. It's alive now in this life, but also in the next. That dead men once in their sins, were resurrected, and now what better way to preach to other people than have resurrected people, dead men now living, speaking life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Problem is, from the very beginning of time, 
dead men have always been worshiping dead things. For instance, if you go back in the Old Testament, there is these temples that men set up. They build it with their own hands, and then they find some piece of wood or gold or rock, and they begin to carve it, and they say, that is God. And the Bible says that he, uh, God repeatedly calls these people worshipers of dead or mute things. That is a mute idol or a dumb idol or a dead idol that somebody thought, let's just carve a rock, call it God, and start worshiping it. And God looks at his people and says, how can you worship dead things? How can you, the people of the living God, Worship dead and mute idols. You know, God has never spoken through Toy Story, inanimate objects coming to life. He didn't get Frankenstein's monster, put him back together and electrocute him and get him to come speak the gospel. God has always desired to use living men, resurrected men to speak his word. Let me tell you why. Look at Moses. Moses, from the very beginning, Moses is a man who's come out of a, a, a life story of, of uh, coming out of murdering a man, and he knows purpose for his life, and God comes to him in a burning bush and transforms Moses' life and speaks him from that burning bush, from the fire of God. God spoke to him face to face. Then he, then he goes to a mountaintop, and he speaks with him through a mountain, through a cloud of fire and smoke, and God's audible voice spoke with Moses. In the tabernacle, the Bible says that he spoke with Moses as if face to face that above this mercy seat in between the cherub, God's Shekinah glory fell down and he spoke with Moses. Not a dead thing, not a rock, not a stone, not a dead idol, but a living God spoke through fire to Moses. And Moses would then go and take what God had spoken to him and begin to speak it to other people. In the entire Old Testament, God always would use men who were once dead in their sin, resurrected to life, he would bring them a word and they would speak that word to the people. The Bible says that men of old were moved by the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit gave them the ability, they'd write it down and they'd speak it. God so longed to speak to us through resurrection that he sent his only son in the flesh Moved by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, born and baptized of the Spirit, that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he would leave his Holy Spirit to his early church, and he would say, go wait until you receive my Spirit. And there in that room, 120 uh, young disciples of Jesus Christ had that same flame that rested from Moses' burning bush, now rested on each one of them. And then what happened? Those dead men came to life and began to speak the word of God to a lost and dead world by the living power of the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word of God with boldness, and rather than have some idol try to tell the world, rather than have some rock or stone, some mute or dead thing, God chose resurrected men to be his ambassadors yeah, I think most churches today are much like these old temples we're talking about with mute idols. That dead men still worship dead things. What do I mean? You see, in the Bible, there was a diversity of spiritual gifts that were once in the pews, now have been given just to the platforms. There's a Pharisee spirit, I think, that rules today that says we have to have knowledge and doctrine and education. You have to have traditions We've got to have control to keep the people safe and to keep chaos out of the church and to keep order. And so we believe that only pastors and evangelists can really be used by God. 
Or worse, we believe the lie that the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit ended with those early followers of Jesus. And now, what do we have? I think in many times we have museums of mummies, dead men who cannot speak, worshiping dead things that do not speak. And it was Moses, the very man who spoke with God face to face from the fire. In Numbers chapter 11, you know what he prayed? He said, oh, I would that all of God's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. My question for you today is what happens when dead bodies start speaking? What happens when dead church bodies start speaking again the things of God? So let's look at here just for a moment in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to talk to you about being a talking body, a talking church body that we are dead men supposed to be resurrected speaking the words of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you're there, somebody say amen. All right, so there's a background here you've got to get. Paul is speaking to this church. Uh, it's his church. He planted it. He watered it. Apollos watered it. Then God began to do the growth. But here's the problem. There were some problems. First, uh, the first Corinthian, the letter says there was divisions. There was a nominational division. There's division between married and single. A division between rich and poor. A division between slave and free. And lastly, at this very passage, there's a division between gifts and not gifts. Or gifts and different gifts. For instance... Rich people thought they had better gifts than uh, slave people. Married people thought they might have better gifts and placement in the body than single people. And and on and on and on. And they began to elevate one specific gift above all the other gifts. They uh, elevated the gift of speaking in another language or speaking in an unknown language or unknown tongue. So for those of you who grew up in church. And God, uh, through Paul, began to show them what he was designing when he made the church. And he says, while all of you are being used, many of you have visible, being you're visibly being used by God. Paul's about to rebuke them for their pride and immaturity because their pride and immaturity was causing division and disorder in the body. But watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant, you know that you were pagans, you were led astray by what? To the mute idols. That's how you were led. Therefore make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts but the same Spirit and a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There are a variety of effects but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the same Spirit, another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, another gifts of healing by one Spirit, and another effecting of miracles, another prophecy, and another distinguishing of spirits, and another various kind of tongues, and another interpretation of tongues. But listen, it's the one and same Spirit working all these things, distrib distributing to each one. How many? Each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they're many, are what? One body. So also is Christ. Verse 13. For there, by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. We are all made to drink of this one spirit. 
for the body is not one member, but many. And he goes on, he talks about how the eye and the hand cannot say to each other, we're not apart, uh, and all this stuff. Just say there's one singular body with many gifts in many places. I'm going to talk to you about three words, power, purpose, and place. Power, purpose, and place. I struggled with trying to come up uh, with a message for this passage. Why? Because the problem, I think, in the American church is we don't even know how to relate to this passage. You look at this passage, you say, man, look at this church. They were messed up, completely messed up. But here's one thing I notice. They were rich in spiritual gifts. They had all kinds of problems, yet they were so close to the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit that though they had all kinds of divisions, debates, struggles, temptations, sin issues, pride, they were still so full of the Holy Spirit that every single minister, every single member was a minister of God. They had so many gifts outpouring in their church that they had a problem with it. Then come back to the American church. Many of our churches don't have any gifts. Many of our churches have no clue what it's like to be a place like this. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the why and how of these spiritual gifts, but I would beg to say that today, if we were to preach this, if Paul was to come back and preach this, he would say, I don't want you to be ignorant, and I don't want you to be ignoring these spiritual gifts. I think we've traded the ignorance of how and why to just plainly ignoring what was so common in the early church. But what if dead bodies began to speak again? What if dead church bodies began to operate once again as God willed it? Power, purpose, and placement. The first one is power. How many know that the Holy Spirit is still in the business of making dead things come alive? He's still in the business of resurrecting lives. He's still in the business of resurrecting marriages, of families. He's still in the business of resurrecting churches and communities. And that's what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. And that word dwells is tabernacles or temples of the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? Listen, listen, listen. He's saying, guys, this is not just to get to heaven. This is to live life right now. That that Holy Spirit power that resurrected Jesus from the dead and is gonna give you life at the end of your life when you wanna get to heaven and get out of hell, he's going to give you life to get through every single day right now. He's going to give you the same power that's able to resurrect your body when you wanna go to heaven when you die. It's that same power you need to be living with every single day right here, right now. And what is a certain word he uses there? In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, he says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, slave or free, and drinking of one Spirit. He's not talking about water baptism there. He's talking about the immersion baptism of the Holy Spirit. What that means is that when we are saved, it's not just coming to church and saying, well, I'm saved and that's just good enough and I just want to get a little bit of my feet wet in the water of salvation. He's saying, no, I want to be completely immersed with the power of the Holy Spirit that I am becoming an indwelling temple, a dwelling place of God where I am completely immersed or anointed in the Holy Spirit. And what happened in Acts chapter 
chapter 2 when all of these followers just didn't come get saved and start going to ceremony services. They didn't just get saved and start going to church services. They got saved and they got immersed with power and they began to speak. Notice that. They began to speak with boldness and power and transform other dead people into living people by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's another word there that Paul uses, uh, and that's the word in verse 6. He says, the same God is working all these things. The word work there is the same word we use for energy. What do I mean by that? Energy. It is not going to be your energy and your effort that makes you a better Christian. It's going to be the electricity, the power, the energy of the Holy Spirit. You know, what do we do when someone's about to die on the operating table? We go, one, two, three, clear, and we, we zap the rhythm back, right? And he's saying it's the same thing. Maybe today, some of us need to get a little zap of the Holy Spirit back in us and say, God, I want to be living. I want to have a power on the inside. Maybe you're saved, but you're half alive. Come on, somebody. You, you need to have the zealousness on the inside that is pumping your rhythm, that's moving within you, that's producing a will to want to talk about Jesus, to want to worship, to want to evangelize, but yet we're just half alive. We're barely breathing. We're just getting by. But he says there's an energy that is working in these baptized believers. They are immersed in the energy of the Holy Spirit. They are raised up to new life by a power and an energy of the Holy Spirit. Do you feel that energy? Do you feel that power? Are you immersed in something more than fleshly works of religion and head knowledge of what you believe about the Bible? But something supernatural should be occurring on the inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's power. Number two is purpose. When I was growing up in church, I didn't have a clue about spiritual gifts. I grew up in a, a spirit-filled background. I grew up in an Assemblies of God church and while well, we had great pastors and we talked about the Holy Spirit and all that was there and I saw many things happen on, on services and revivals and, and I saw all kinds of operations of the Spirit and work, I never thought I was supposed to be doing any of that. I thought that was for the pastors and the evangelists and the missionaries and certain old people who were just so close to Jesus, you know, them and Mother Teresa are over here. You know, like, that's who they, they do that. They hear from the Lord and they speak words and, and they give gifts and all this kind of stuff. But I'm like, I never even imagined that God could speak to me about someone else and then I'm supposed to go speak that thing that God spoke to me. Never even considered it until one day someone began to talk to me about spiritual gifts. And Paul tells Timothy in another letter, he says, Timothy, don't neglect the spiritual gifts that were placed within you with the laying on of hands and prophetic utterances. And Paul says it to the Corinthian church, don't be ignorant. Don't be unlearned about your spiritual gifts. He says, one word, he says, I want you to know these are gifts, which in the Greek is charisma. That word charisma is a gift of grace or an undeserved gift of favor. A gift with no strings attached. Happy birthday, here's a gift. I don't want anything returned. This is just because I love you. Happy birthday. That's a charisma gift. It's a gracious gift with no conditions attached to it. I just want to bless you. And when Jesus died on the cross, 
and gave us his Holy Spirit, with his Holy Spirit came charisma gifts. And he says, distributing to each one individually as he wills, that every single believer has charisma gifts placed within them. And the word they're given is the same word that we would say for depositing in the bank account. It's already been in there. As if someone anonymously puts something in your bank account without you knowing it, what do you have to do though? You have to go to the bank and cash the check. You have to go to the bank and make a withdrawal. He says, these gifts have already been credited to your account, purposed for your life. Romans 12, 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the charisma given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. What does that mean? When I buy my kids gifts for Christmas, when they come out of that room on Christmas Day, on that tree below them are a bunch of gifts, each with their names on it. Each has been purposed by me for each child, purchased by me, purposed for each child. I know what each child likes, I know what each child needs, and they're there, purchased, paid for, because they're my kid. But what does that child have to do? has to go and get them and by faith open it and then begin to exercise or use the gift on the inside. And sometimes I need to put batteries in it and we're gonna call that the energy of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just settle for just having salvation and being God's kid, but we never open presents on Christmas Day. I don't know about you, I like presents. And if my name's on that thing under the tree, I'm gonna open it. And that's just the way I am. Some of you may not open all your presents, I don't know. But that's what Paul is saying. There's a gift for you, everyone, you're a kid of God. He's got it labeled for you, it's there for you. You've just gotta exercise it by faith, he says. And he says there is a diversity of gift. Each one is manifested, these are visible gifts. The word manifested is seen. Not, these are not character gifts. And the context of this passage gets many denominations uh, messed up with how they view this passage. This passage is not for the things of the fruit of the Spirit, and it's not for personal prayer, and not for personal things you're going through. This passage is in the context of public gifts in operation. The word manifested is to be seen gift. It is a seen revelation gift. And so he says, not all speak in tongues, not all speak publicly in tongues, not all have gifts of faith, not all have gifts of faith publicly. We all have faith individually, not all have gifts of healing publicly, not all have diversity of tongues or interpretation of tongues or wisdom. He goes on and lists all these gifts, and these are just one of the three lists we have in the New Testament. They're gifts of helps, of administration, of leadership, there's gifts of teaching, of service, of charity, and it goes on and on and on. What is he saying? not to make a list, to label yourself. He's saying, guys, to a divided church, don't you understand? You're all important. You all have many gifts, and we're not all gonna have the same gifts, but as we each manifest and work out our gifts and exercise them, we become something God has made us to be. We are no longer a mute, dead idols. We're not coming to a lost and dying world with something dead. We're coming as resurrected men and women, speaking the things of God. He says they've all been distributed. The word there is purposed. And each one, Peter says, has received a special gift. So now employ it in serving others as good stewards of the grace or the charisma of God. When you begin to work out these gifts that God has put in your life, they're going to profit the entire body of Jesus. They're going to glorify God. They're going to unite our church together. 
I told our first service, I said, you know, it kind of makes me think about that, that moment. Uh, you know, if you've seen the old cartoons, the old black and white movies of Frankenstein's monster, right? They, this the scientist puts all these body parts together and they don't all fit and they're sewn. And it's kind of ugly and grotesque. And then they lift it up and it's Igor, move it up. And it goes up and they put it in the lightning and zaps it, you know, and he comes to life. And you know what? When he comes back down, does he work well? No. He, he's like, uh, he never talks, right, by the way. He needs an interpretation. He never talks. He just, uh, and then when he walks, he's like, like this. And I thought about that picture and I'm like, that is like what the body of Christ looks like in America today. Our tongues are not loosed to speak forth the things of God. Our body parts are not in sync with one another. And we're like this dismembered thing trying to work it out and it's not working and it's not flowing. And Paul's saying the same thing. You've gotta be in order with the Spirit. The Spirit wants to loosen his gifts so that he can speak, fold the, uh, speak forth the manifold mysteries of God to a lost and dying world. And if we look like that, it's because we're half alive or worse, we're half dead. I think many of our church bodies in America are half dead because we've not been loosed of our tongues We've not been in sync in our body of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit energy needs to zap us again. I'm praying for His will for our church. I'm praying for us to surrender our mouths, our bodies. I'm praying for us to start moving, exercising in faith. And I know that God will supply the power. And lastly, Paul says, is placement. There's a power, a Holy Spirit electricity. There's a purpose that is your spiritual gifts that have been deposited in you for the visible manifestation of the body. And then there's a placement. And the Corinthians had elevated tongues, and I think today we've elevated pastors, we've elevated worship leaders, we've elevated deacons and elders, and we've elevated all these things, and we begin to think our gift is not very adequate. Well, I can't do that. I can't sing like that. I can't preach like that. I can't talk like that. I don't talk to strangers. I don't know how to do that. I don't know the Bible that well. We begin to doubt that we even have any gifts at all. And some have feared so much anarchy because there's so many bad things out there of charismania and people taking the scripture too far that we've gone the other direction. We try to control everything with uniformity and we've made our churches into spectator sports. That all the action happens up on a stage, a, la a platform, it's a performance, it's a theater. And the audience sits back and enjoys it. But that is not the New Testament church. The New Testament church is that every single person in this body has a visible gift deposited to you by the grace of God for the purpose of building up this local family so that we won't be a mute, dead idol to a lost and dying world coming in here to worship ceremony or tradition or the legalism and doctrine of man, but when they come into our gatherings, they will meet a living, breathing God through resurrected people. They will see that God is still alive. And that's why Paul says to a divided church, guys, don't you know that each of you has a place, a thumb, a finger, a hand, an ear, and where for those who are worried about disorder and confusion and all that, he says the problem of why we have disorder and confusion is because those people are not focusing on glorifying Jesus and one another. 
You see, in your body, you have many body parts and many things, but your body, unless it has a disease, is working in sync with itself because it's intent on one purpose, to do what the will of the head says. And that's the same thing for a church. A church that is united together in love for one another, it can be systematic, it can be efficient, it will be in order, it will be dynamic, it will have a purpose, it will have a mission, and it will be evident that it is moving and flowing with life because it is following the head, Jesus Christ. It will be in sync together. And it will be the most beautiful symphony because this one has a song and this one has a hymn and this one has a word and this one has a letter of encur- a word of encouragement and this one is here to serve and this one has acts of charity. This one's a good teacher and this one's a preacher and this one's an evangelist and this one is gifted in worship and this one is gifted in ministering to children and to youth and this one loves elderly people and the homeless. And as it all begins to work, it's this beautiful body where God begins to dwell and testify to the world. We are resurrected people speaking the things of God. What if dead bodies came to life again? What if dead church bodies came to life again and began to speak? You see, healthy members make the body healthy, but lifeless members make the body deathly. What happens with a body that only a few members are using their gifts and a few members are in operation? We call it sick. We call it dying. We call the doctor. And I'm praying today that we could just take a stand as we study this out and say, Lord, we want the energy power of the Holy Spirit in this local body. We want the gifts and the purpose of God that has already been deposited there to be received and opened up by faith and to love one another and build up one another in the Holy Spirit. And we want every person, there are a diversity of gifts and there are a diversity of ministries, every person placed in the right place doing what God has equipped them to do and we will have the best witness to a lost and dying world that there is a God. Would you stand with me this morning? As we prepare to just respond and worship and prayer, I want to talk to you, those of you who've never been used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit or don't know what your gift is. The Bible says if we have confessed our sins, believe on Jesus, we'll receive the gift through the indwelling, the born again of the Holy Spirit. That's received by faith. I'm going to challenge you to not just stay there, but to continually work to be immersed, baptized in His Spirit giving over your life to the control and will of God like these early followers did in Acts chapter 2 they said yes God I will go yes God I surrender my life to be a mission to go to the mission to whatever that mission is to go to this place or that place God I want to be used of God and the Lord says fine I will use you and he immersed them baptized them with power to speak that's the first thing I will challenge you with the second is as they begin to go They begin to step out in faith with what God had already put in them. And maybe today you don't know what it is that God's put in you. All you have to do is simply ask. Same way you receive salvation is the same way you'll walk in these gifts. Just simply to say, God, I surrender my life, my will to you. 
Father, I want the most helpful things. I want to build up the local body of Jesus Christ. And whatever gift you've purchased for me, I want to open it up by faith. Paul says, seek after. I believe you can even ask for more gifts. My kids ask me for stuff all the time. Doesn't mean I give it to them right away. But as a good parent, I love to give gifts to my children. And if you want something helpful that's going to glorify Jesus and glorify his church, he will give it. If it's prophecy, tongues, interpretation, it's still here. It's still available. If it's healing or miracles, if it's helps, you want to be a better teacher. You want to be a better preacher. If you want to help people serve, if you want to be a better giver, God's got to know that he can trust you with your finances, that he can give through you so that you can give to others. God loves to bless you so you can bless others, but sometimes it's for our own benefit. You say, God, I want to be helpful. And I promise you, as you ask, you begin to seek the Lord. I promise you from personal experience, those things are going to begin to come. He's going to give you an opportunity that you're going to have to step out in faith to do it. And as you take that step in faith to give a word, to speak, to encourage, to teach, I was never a teacher until I took the step of faith to teach. You're never going to see a blind person healed until you take the step of faith to pray for a blind person. Do you understand how this works? You have to take the step of faith. As the Holy Spirit prompts you, as you sense His leading, He will begin to prompt you. And you'll begin to say, Lord, I'm going to take that scary step. And I know you're going to supply the electricity, the energy, the ability is going to come through, not your efforts, but the Holy Spirit's. So if that's you today, I want to have a special prayer for you today. If you need the Lord Jesus as Savior, these altars are open. I want you to come find a place to pray. And our leaders.